Okay, everyone, welcome to another edition of Theater Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for, and there's another edition of Oscar Got It Wrong. It's been such a busy week of new releases, I've seen six new movies in the last four days. Who knew sitting in a recliner in the movie theater would be so exhausting, but trust me, it is. But I'm not too exhausted to give you my thoughts on them. So, here we go. For our featured movies this week, Evil Spirits Terrorize a Family in Evil Dead Rise, Jake Gyllenhaal goes on a rescue mission in Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, Joaquin Phoenix shows us why Bo is afraid, Ray Romano makes his directorial debut in Somewhere in Queens, and a forgotten musician gets his props in Chevalier. First up, the latest in a series of possession movies raises the stakes as a mother goes to great lengths to show her devotion in Evil Dead Rise. Open up, Nim. You don't look so good, Mom. Nothing a big old kiss from you won't fix. film opens with a scene set in a remote woods where a group of friends are vacationing when things get chaotic after one of them becomes possessed by an evil spirit and raises bloody hell on the other two. It cuts back a few days earlier where a family is living in a downtrodden apartment in Los Angeles. Single mother Ellie, played by Alyssa Sutherland, lives with her three children, teenagers Danny and Bridget and the very young Cassie, who I would say is about six or seven years old. The family is visited by Ellie's sister, Beth, played by Lily Sullivan. Beth is a singer in a rock band, and it is implied that they have a strained relationship with each other. Soon, an earthquake shakes everyone up and opens a hole in the floor of the parking garage. Danny finds an old bank vault underneath and brings the contents back to the apartment where he discovers a mysterious book that seems to have teeth locking it shut. When he manages to get the book open, all hell breaks loose when a demon possesses their mother, who then goes on to torment her own children, threatening their lives as well as Beth's. Will they be able to exorcise the demon before they meet their fates? When I saw the trailer for this, I thought it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... See-it! I don't know what it is about possession films, but I'm just not overly scared by them. This one had many frightening scenes, and some of them were scary, but I kind of wish this movie was even scarier. The film had a rough start where a lot of things didn't make sense as to how they were all connected with each other, but that seems to have wrapped up pretty nicely by the end. The tension was extreme throughout once things got going, and I think most people would be terrified by this film. But for me... I could have used a few more scares. I do like the darkness of it, which helped with the mood, and some of the gore is just ridiculously gross, but I think if you really like horror films, then you're going to enjoy this one. 
I have not seen the previous Evil Dead films, so I don't know how they're really connected, but as a standalone film, this does the job it intends to do. Next, when a member of the military and his interpreter are ambushed in the Middle East, it sets the scene for an epic journey to safety. This is Guy Ritchie's The Covenant. Everything alright, John? No, everything's not alright. There is a Hulk in me. A man and his family are in trouble. We can't intervene. I am gonna have to get him out myself. John Kinley, an American sergeant played by Oscar nominee Jake Gyllenhaal, is leading a team of fighters looking for locations of Taliban explosive labs and weapons of mass destruction. In order to complete this mission, he and his team need to rely on the work of Afghan translators. It is here we meet Ahmed, played by Dar Salim. Ahmed is taking the risky job of turning against his own community in order to help the American soldiers in exchange for freedom for himself, his wife, and child, who will all be given visas to the United States following the mission. At first there is tension between the two as Ahmed seems to undermine John's authority by intervening with his instincts and information, which infuriates John. Although it turns out Ahmed is correct. When a mission goes wrong, it leaves John and Ahmed on their own, traveling through the desert to return to John's base. They do their best to avoid the targets on their backs when they are eventually ambushed, leaving John gravely injured. Ahmed then goes on a journey to get John back to his base. The second half of the film involves John's mission to rescue Ahmed out of hiding to grant him and his family the things they were promised. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a shove-it. And I give this film a... See it! Surprisingly, I really enjoyed this film. It was very engaging. The action scenes were very tight, and the emotional human aspect of it was quite affecting. This all surprised me considering Guy Ritchie films have usually been all bluster and machismo and very little heart. This, I think, is his best work so far. It strikes all the right chords. It tells a story that maybe not a lot of people know about, and it is a good balance with action as well as exposition. Hall is very good in his role, as is Salim, who plays Ahmed. The two of them create a bond that is believable. And while I don't think this film is based on a true story, it is inspired by true life events. If you're looking for a tight military action film, this is a good one to see. Up next, director Ari Aster takes audiences on an epic trip about a man looking to overcome his insecurity while returning home to his mother. This is Bo is Afraid. I am so sorry for what your daddy passed down to you. But I wanted a child, the greatest gift of my life. I'm visiting my mother tomorrow. Hi, Carrot. It's Mom. I'm just calling to say that I'm so, so, so excited to see you tomorrow. You're my angel, and I love you. Okay. I love you. Okay, bye, sweetie. I 
love you. Are you at the airport? I'm on my way. I just... This film, at just over three hours, is broken up into different chapters. The first chapter establishes Oscar winner Joaquin Phoenix as Bo, an extremely insecure, grown man who begins to have visions and meltdowns of the world around him. When he is delayed for a flight home to see his mother, played by Broadway legend Patti Lapone, in a performance that makes Mommy Dearest look like Mother of the Year, Bo feels an incredible sense of guilt after his mother's reaction to the phone call alerting her to his delay. After a series of bizarre social encounters, Bo is eventually injured in an accident and taken in by two people in the suburbs, played by Oscar nominee Amy Ryan and Tony and Emmy winner Nathan Lane. The two take great pleasure in nursing Bo back to health by feeding him pill after pill. When Bo receives news that necessitates his return to his mother, the couple continue to delay helping him to make his return. They kind of use him as a substitute for their dead son. So Bo begins the journey on his own, and what a strange journey it is. With flashes back in time to give a glimpse of Bo's youth, as well as glimpses of his future, can Bo make it to his mother in time? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... A mild see-it for me, and a shove-it for most others who may not be accustomed to Ari Aster films. Okay, let me explain. This film is an epic journey through the mind of a fucked-up man. I am a fan of Aster films. I enjoyed Midsommar and Hereditary, but he is definitely an acquired taste, and this film is no different. Unfortunately, the whole thing doesn't work. I kind of sum it up as, Hour 1 is like, what the fuck is going on? Hour 2 is like, huh, alright, come on, let's get on with it. And Hour 3 is like, oh my god, this is classic Ari Aster filmmaking. In life, I am somebody who is more about the destination rather than the journey. I just want to get there. I don't want to look at the sights. I just want to get to my destination. So the fact that the third hour really was so incredible to me, that was a saving grace. But boy, is it a chore to get there. That's why I think for most people, if you're not familiar with his films, you are not going to enjoy this. And you probably won't even enjoy the third hour as much as I did. And of the three films I've seen of his, this is my least favorite. Joaquin Phoenix is incredible in the film, as is Patti Lapone, but it is visually stunning and narratively lacking in many respects. It's a film that could have used a good editor, like so many three-hour films that I've talked about. I think about a good half hour could have been shaved off or tightened up, and it would have made the film a whole lot more comprehensive but in the end, the last hour made it worth it for me. So if you are into weird, bizarre films, you may enjoy this one, but if you're not, you're going to hate it, I promise you. That's why I think for most people, it would be a shove-it. Next, a man goes through incredible and questionable lengths to make sure his son gets into college. This is Somewhere in Queens. He gets on that team, everything changes for him. You need to turn down the rah-rah. I'm excited. This is not a huge choice. She broke up with me. I'm so surprised. Yeah, your mom's hysterical because she doesn't like seeing you like this. Getting hurt. He'll be okay. I just gotta get his mind off it, you know? Get him back on the court. Hey, Danny. 
he's not going to make that team if he's sad like this. Maybe you could go back out with him. Writer-director Ray Romano stars as Leo, an aging husband from Queens, who basks in the glow of his son's popularity as the star of his high school basketball team. Leo works for his father, played by Tony Lobianco, and lives with his wife Angela, played wonderfully by Oscar-nominated actress Lori Metcalf. When Leo and Angela attend their son Matthew's last basketball game, they are approached by a college scout who informs them there might be an opportunity for Styx, as he is known by because of his very, very tall stature, there may be an opportunity for him to attend college on a scholarship. This was not part of the plan, as Styx, played by Jacob Ward, was intending on joining the family construction business, as all the men in their family have before him. Leo sees this as an opportunity to break the cycle of failure in the family and becomes obsessed with making sure his son gets into college. When Styx is dumped by his girlfriend Danny, played by Sadie Stanley, the idea of college is placed into jeopardy, as his mood is now deeply affected. Can Leo save the day and fix things before Styx's tryout? I give this film a... See it! I just adored this film. It is the type of film that will have you smiling pretty much all the way through. The cast works so well together. Romano has always been great at playing the kind of doofus who does the wrong thing under the right intentions, just like he did in Everybody Loves Raymond. But he takes it to a new emotional level here. Laurie Metcalf is very good as his wife, and the supporting cast all have their moments where they can shine. I really noticed how much I liked the script of this. I found it to be very engaging, very tight, with just the right amount of hilarity and emotion. Overall, it is a heartfelt comedy that may have you laughing and crying at various times throughout. If you like dramedy films like this that give you a peek into the lives of others, go see it while you can. It's very good. Finally, a talented musician attempts to overcome racial barriers in 18th century France. This is Chevalier. In the 18th century, musician Joseph Bologna, played with ferocity by Kelvin Harrison Jr., is anointed the Chevalier de Saint-Georges by Marie Antoinette, played by Bohemian Rhapsody actress Lucy Boynton. Bologna is of mixed race as the son of a slave and plantation owner. Not only is he a gifted musician who challenges Mozart to a violin off, he is a talented fencer as well as a composer and conductor. Bologna is challenged to write an opera for the role of the conductor of the Paris Opera House. He is competing against a duke for the role. Can Bologna rise above this societal bigotry to achieve greatness on his merit? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and I give this film a... See-it! This film was an interesting look into the history of someone that many people don't know about, 
because his history was basically wiped out due to racism and bigotry back in the 18th century. Harrison is incredible in this role, and you can tell it was a passion project for him. The supporting cast is very good as well, and includes not only Lucy Boynton, but Samara Weaving and Oscar-nominated actress Minnie Driver. It's a good look into the life of a man who had to overcome societal bigotry, yet still move forward with the passion he had for music and entertaining, and that was very interesting to me. Everywhere he went, society would shun him or say horrible things to him about how he didn't belong in France at the time because of the color of his skin, and people were telling him to go back to where he came from. For a moment there, I wasn't sure if it was set in France or modern-day Florida. The music was very entertaining, and Harrison played the violin himself throughout the film. I saw on a talk show where he said he started taking violin lessons when he was a child, and he had to return to those lessons when this film was being made, but it all came back to him because he was incredible as a violinist in this film. If you are into period pieces as well as musical biopics such as Amadeus, I think you'll enjoy this one. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Evil Dead Rise is in theaters now and is a see it. Guy Ritchie's Covenant is in theaters now and is a see it. Bo is Afraid is in theaters now and is a mild shove it unless you're into Ari Aster films and then you'll probably at least enjoy it. Somewhere in Queens is in theaters now and is a see it and is also my pick of the week, although The Covenant was a very close second. Chevalier is in theaters now and is a see it. Now, onto my brief take of some additional movies I've watched this week in my segment called Quick Picks. Just one quick pick this week. To Catch a Killer stars Shailene Woodley as a Baltimore cop who is recruited to help an FBI agent played by Ben Mendelsohn track down a mass murderer who has gone on a rampage on New Year's Eve. It was entertaining enough, but could have been tighter, and the final 20 minutes just lost me altogether. Remember, I'm more about the destination than the journey, so if you don't stick the landing, unfortunately, I have to give it a mild shove it. It is currently playing in select theaters. Now it's time for me to decide if Oscar got it right or Oscar got it wrong. In 2009, Sandra Bullock swept the Precursor Awards for her dramatic performance in the true-life tale The Blind Side. Leading up to the Oscars, it was pretty clear that she was the frontrunner for the Best Actress Prize. Here's how it turned out when Sean Penn presented the award. Uh, here are the nominees for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role. Sandra Bullock, The Blind Side. Helen Mirren, The Last Station. Carrie Mulligan, In an Education. Gabourey Sidibe, For Precious. And Meryl Streep, For Julie and Julia. And the winner is Sandra Bullock. I think in this case, Oscar got it wrong. Listen, I do love Sandra Bullock. 
I have been a fan since first seeing her driving a runaway bus in 1994's Speed, and genuinely enjoy her performances in most of her films, even the not-so-great ones. She has a charm that is engaging and relatable, similar to how Julia Roberts won our hearts when she first hit the scene. However, The Blind Side is an incredibly maudlin movie that manipulates its audience with the typical white savior character who comes to the rescue of a black kid in need. Yes, it is based on the true story of NFL defense lineman Michael Ower, and Bullock plays his adoptive mother, Leanne Tui. She's fine in this role, but I think her win is more a result of people normally seeing her in romantic comedies, so this role seemed like a stretch for her, and because of her charm, was an easy pick to get behind. However, for my money, the performance of the category was Gabare Sidibe, who tears your heart out as the abused teen facing a life of struggle and poverty in Precious. You can't help but be gutted by the amount of physical violence and mental abuse her character faced at the hands of a mother who not only didn't love her, but actively hated her. Sidibe was incredible in conveying those emotions. It was a real missed opportunity for the Academy to reward a second actress of color in the Best Actress category. In fact, it wasn't until just last month that this occurred when Michelle Yeoh won for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Now, I do think Bullock does deserve an Oscar. However, I think she should have won four years later when she was nominated for her incredibly deep performance in Gravity. But that year, Kate Blanchett won her second for Blue Jasmine, which is hard to argue with as well. So, do you agree or do you think I'm nuts? Head over to my Instagram and let me know. Finally, it's time for my segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind Rewind. So, this week's topic for the 52-week movie challenge was silent movies. The week's choices were Metropolis, Silent Movie, or The Artist. You voted, and the film you selected is The Artist. And since it's a silent film, I don't have a clip for you because it's just music. Anyway, in this Best Picture winning film, the artist is set in 1927 when Hollywood screen idol George Valentin, played by Best Actor winner Jean Dujardin, is basking in his success and admiration. At the premiere of his latest film, The Russian Affair, Valentin literally runs into up-and-coming actress Peppy Miller, played by supporting actress nominee Berenice Bijot. The chance encounter leads to everyone asking who she is, causing inquiring minds to find out, essentially launching her career. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. With the onset of talking pictures just around the corner, Valentine is resistant to the change, while Peppy is more than happy to embrace the next chapter of movies, causing a rift in their relationship. While Grateful for the help he has given her, Peppy has to decide where her loyalties lie, and George has to decide whether or not he is going to fit into the changing film world. This is a theme kind of explored in several adaptations of A Star is Born and even in last year's Babylon. The Artist was released on November 23, 2011, eventually grossing $133.4 million at the box office. It was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, winning five, including Best Picture, Best Actor, and Best Director. The Artist is available on HBO Max. 
Next week's Be Kind Rewind topic is an animated film. The choices are Beauty and the Beast, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, Fantasia, or my mother's favorite, Cinderella. Come to my Instagram at Cedarshovit to vote for which film I should focus on. The post with the most likes will be next week's segment. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Cedar Shove It. Thank you so much for joining me again this week. I'm grateful. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. Follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd at Cedar Shove It, and rate me wherever you get your podcast. Come back next week to hear my thoughts on... Next week's new releases, including the film adaptation of Judy Bloom's classic novel, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, the biopic, Big George Foreman, and the ultra-violent Sisu, which, heads up, I have already seen at last week's Mystery Monday movie at Regal, and it is a doozy. You're going to have to tune in to find out if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Thanks again, everyone, for listening. Have a great week. This episode of See It or Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved. <laughs>